Karis, you reminded me. Kids, you're dismissed. <laughs> We're gathering kids from the four winds of heaven and taking them to children's church. <laughs> Please leave your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 29 through 35. And as we look at this text, we find Jesus giving the Olivet Discourse. As we've seen, Jesus is answering some questions from his disciples about when the end is coming and what it will look like. And so in a series of teachings concerning this end time, when our history as a world that stands opposed to God comes to a close. Jesus has been talking about terrible events that are going to take place during a period that's called the Great Tribulation. These signs involve natural disasters, wars. It involves terrible events that will take place as far as persecution against the people of God. And as Jesus is sharing this, he's sharing it with the people of Israel. It's our conviction that the church will have already been raptured. And so those who are left on the earth are going to be the people of God who are either Israel or those who come to faith during the tribulation. And so Jesus has been warning them that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Now, as we come to the text that we're looking into this morning, what we find is Jesus finally talking about his arrival. When he comes back, when he returns, what's it going to look like? For several verses, Jesus warned of false messiahs, people who would say, hey, look, there's the Messiah before he comes in order to deceive people. But as we were closing last week's text, looking at what it's going to be like when Christ returns, we saw that he's going to come back and it would be like a lightning flash. A lightning flash is unmistakable. You know exactly what it is when you see it, and you don't mix it up with something else. It's unique. Well, Jesus' return is going to be unique as well. And this is what he drills down on as we come to this part of the text. He wants to share with people an important truth that when he comes, it is unmistakable. He is Messiah, and you will know him for who he is. Look at this text as we look at verse 29. We want to see that, yes, we're to look to the heavens and what we're to look for are some of the signs that pertain to Christ's coming. Now, verse 29 speaks of the sun, the moon, the stars that will mark that the end is near, that Christ's return is right there, right at the door. And this is what it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So, for three and a half years, there has been terrible, terrible tribulation. There is a seven-year tribulation period, but the last three and a half are just awful. A rapid succession of terrible events takes place. And one of the marks of the tribulation is the darkness. Jesus describes it as the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars falling from heaven, and the powers of heaven being shaken. Now this is dramatic. It's going to bring to a crescendo all that is completing with the tribulation and preparing for Christ's return. And what we see as we look at this text is very much like the stories that I love. I love stories that talk about how bad it gets and then boom, on comes the scene. The, the hero is there and he delivers the people from a terrible outcome. That is really a picture of what we're seeing with the conclusion of the tribulation for Israel and for those who come to faith during the tribulation. When Jesus describes in this text these appearances in the heavens 
that the sun will be darkened, that the moon will not give its light, that the stars will fall from heaven. We find this also described for us in the book of Revelation. When you look in the book of Revelation, we find a series of seals. There is a scroll described, and as the Lamb of God, Jesus, breaks open each of seven seals, terrible things happen. The book of Revelation chapter 5 describes this scene in prophetic language, and it says this, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Now this is speaking of God, and Jesus takes the scroll from the Father. And then it goes on to say this, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, a golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So here's the scene. The tribulation is getting ready to kick in with all of these terrible events. And this is the introduction of these terrible events in the book of Revelation. And Jesus is described as the one who is unleashing the wrath of God on a sinful world. That's the picture that we have. It's during one of those scenes that the book of Revelation describes some events that sound very similar to what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 24. In Revelation chapter 6, it says this, when he opened the sixth seal. Now, there are seven seals, right? The seventh seal will become seven trumpets. The seven trumpets will become seven bulls. And what we find is this. Jesus is unleashing this upon the earth, and look at the sixth seal. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So we're talking a dramatic shift in all that we see in this world. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Now, this is powerful. When we look at our world, there are many in our world who think they have everything all put into place. They're in power. No one can stay their power. But here, we find that God will judge those who have abused and harmed other people. He will hold them accountable. And there are going to be dramatic events that happen on our earth that will mark the conclusion of their power. And when they realize it, rather than repenting and turning to God, what do they do? I just want to hide and die. I want to crawl in a hole and pull the lid in over top of me. Their rebellion continues to stand against God. For centuries, man has used the sun and the moon and the stars to navigate. They've been constants. What this is saying is, as the end comes, they'll look to them for direction, but they won't find them. Darkness will encompass the earth. Something else we see as we look at this text. We find 
that in verse 30. It goes on to talk about the Son of Man will also give a sign. Notice it says this, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. So I want you to picture this. The screen is black. <laughs> no light from sun, moon, or stars. A canvas of darkness. And then in the midst of the darkness appears the sign of the Son of Man. Now what is the sign of the Son of Man? We don't know. I read several commentaries, and some of them came up with some really creative stuff, but it's speculation. Here's what we do know, that God often appears with what is called Shekinah glory. Now, the Shekinah glory is an intense glow, light that radiates from God. And just as you know, when there's a light coming, you can see the glow of that light before the actual light gets there. Well, that's the picture of the Shekinah glory of God. And what's truly interesting is this. Jesus delivers this message from the Mount of Olives. In the book of Ezekiel, the Shekinah glory of God in a vision that Ezekiel had left the temple, going to the outer courts of the temple, going to the east gate of Jerusalem, going to the Mount of Olives, the mountain to the east, and then ultimately going to heaven. Ezekiel describes it in this way, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is to the east side of the city, the Mount of Olives. And it was there that the glory of God departed Israel. Something else that's interesting is we find in the book of Acts that after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, when he ascended, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. And he did so in a cloud. And an angel speaking to the disciples said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? That Jesus is going to come back to the Mount of Olives. And the sign, I believe, will be the glory of Christ radiating and then the appearance of Christ when He comes. What the Word of God is telling us is, again, the return of Jesus Christ will be unmistakable. We should not listen to anyone who says, look over here, here's the Christ. Look over there, here's the Christ. When Jesus returns, we won't have to guess. And by we, I mean humanity. They will be able to see that Jesus has returned. So then we continue in that 30th verse, and Jesus goes on to talk about this return. The Son of Man will come in clouds with great power and glory. Look at what it says. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Now, that's why I believe this text is talking about that glowing manifestation of God, the Shekinah glory. As Jesus returns, they will see it, and they will see its intensity, and they will know that something unique is happening. But here's what we see. What a contrast to Jesus' first advent. When Jesus was born in an obscure manger, it so differs that first coming of Christ with the second coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, there's a chart that just isolates some of the contrasts between the two comings. The first coming, born in a manger. Second coming, coming in the clouds with power and glory. The first coming, Jesus came to share the gospel of the kingdom. The second coming, He fulfills the gospel of the kingdom. The first coming, He suffered for sin. The second coming, he judges the wicked for their sin. 
The first coming, he ascended into heaven. The second coming, he's coming back from heaven. This is what Jesus is talking about as he speaks with his disciples. He wants them to understand that when he comes, it will be stark, it will be evident. All of Israel and all of those who are against Israel in the world will see Jesus return as King of the Jews, as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jesus is coming again. Now the writer of Revelation, John, also gives us this revelation. It's an extended passage. Just listen, or you can look it up as I share it. But this describes Jesus' return. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heavens arrayed in white linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then that 19th chapter talks about those who have opposed God the Antichrist, the false prophet. And it says this, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. This description of the end of evil, of the end of the Antichrist and the false prophet, this is how Jesus returns. So what he's saying to those who will listen, what he's saying to Israel when they will be going through the tribulation, what he's saying to those tribulation saints who find faith in God during the tribulation is very clear. It's going to get bad, but right when it's its darkest, Jesus returns and vanquishes evil and takes the throne of this earth. Now we look at this and it sounds scary. It's disconcerting as far as the terrible things that will transpire on earth. But it's also a passage of hope. Jesus is coming again. And this sinful, broken world will be set right by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's what we look to. Something else. We go on to verse 31. And we see that this verse reveals that Jesus will send out his angels to gather the elect. Look at what it says in verse 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, there are those who read this passage and they get confused because normally when we think of a trumpet call, we think of something called the rapture. There are two phases to Christ's return, the rapture phase and then the return phase. The rapture phase is when God catches up the people of God and brings them into heaven. We believe that that pertains to the church, that the church is raptured 
and we hear a trumpet call when God calls us to heaven. It's described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's also described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, just because we see a trumpet mentioned in verse 31, are we to assume that Jesus is referencing the rapture of the church? And I would say to you, no. There are many times that trumpets are mentioned during the tribulation itself where they announce something that's coming. And I believe what Jesus is talking about here with this trumpet call is a gathering of the Jews back to Israel where they will reign with Christ. And I base that on some passages of Scripture that speak of it. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 27, the prophet Isaiah was speaking to a sin-hardened Israel. And what he was saying to Israel was this. People of Israel, you have terrible judgments coming your way. And he was speaking of immediate judgments. The Babylonians were going to come and vanquish Israel. And what he was sharing with them was hard to hear. But there was a near prophecy that the Babylonians would come and take them over. But there was a far prophecy of hope and restoration for the nation of Israel. That is what Isaiah talks about, and I believe that's what Jesus is talking about here. As a nation, Israel had just rejected Jesus, and they would ultimately reject him on the cross during Jesus' time. But that doesn't mean that God is finished with Israel. What the Word of God teaches us is this. God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant will be fulfilled when Jesus returns, establishes his kingdom on earth, and he reigns with Israel. That's what we need to grasp. That's what we need to truly understand as we look at this text. Isaiah says the following. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt to the Lord, or Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one, people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. It's talking about a regathering. And here's what we need to understand. The kingdom that Jesus promises is the fulfillment of all the promises that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and it won't be fulfilled until Jesus reigns as king and calls the people of Israel back to the Holy Land and they physically inhabit the land that God promised Abraham. It hasn't happened yet. But it will happen. When Jesus returns, he will gather physical descendants of Abraham back to Jerusalem where they will be with Jesus as he reigns bodily, physically, on the earth. So here's what happens. We have the rapture. The church is taken to be with Jesus. We have seven years of tribulation, where during that seven years, terrible things happen on earth. Israel is persecuted. The beast unleashes war on Israel, but they are protected and survive. And then right at the conclusion of that seven years of tribulation, Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, he gathers the people of Israel, protecting them, letting those physical survivors go into the kingdom to experience the promise of God. That's what happens at the return of Jesus Christ. And for a thousand years, Jesus reigns with the children of Israel. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. It's recorded in the eternal word of God, so he wants us to understand this. 
But here's the thing. Simultaneous to the regathering of the people of Israel is going to be a judgment on those who have spurned God, rejected Him. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What it's saying is this. You can't stand on neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. You're either one of the people of God who by faith has looked to Jesus the Messiah and trusted in Him as your Savior, or you reject. Those who accept spend an eternity with God in Christ Jesus. Those who reject spend an eternity separated from God in the same place that the false prophet and the beast wind up, the lake of fire. And I don't say that with joy. I say that because it's what the Word of God reveals. And if you don't talk about what Scripture talks about, you're doing a disservice. God has made a way for us to experience an eternity with Him, to rule with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that is by faith, trusting the provision that He made and sending His Son the first time to live among us, to die on the cross, to resurrect, and to ascend to the right hand of the Father. But He's coming again, and we don't know when that is. And so we need to make a decision about Jesus. Who is he? How do I respond to him? Final part of the passage. There is a sure nature to this prophecy. Verse 32 says this, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and it puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. We all see things that give us a clue that something is about to change. In the spring, it's daffodils or crocuses that come up, and we know finally winter is over and spring is coming. And we get excited about it. In the Middle East, it was the fig tree. When you look at the fig tree and it starts to send out shoots with little leaves on it, you know summer is on its way. What Jesus has been talking about throughout the 24th chapter are those signs like the fig tree that tell us that He's coming, that He's returning. Now we see many signs in our day today that set the stage for these signs that will intensify during that seven years right before Jesus returns. And so we're to look to those signs and look to heaven waiting for Jesus. That's why Jesus says in verse 33, so also when you see these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. For the people of Israel, as they see the Antichrist, the false prophet, as they see all of these terrible things, persecution raining down on them, they're to know that very soon... Jesus will return. And then in verse 34, he says this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, what generation is Jesus talking about? Well, number one, we know that it's not the generation of the first century because none of those things took place during their generation. We're 2,000 years past and we're still waiting. So what is he talking about? The generation that will not pass until these things take place is the generation that sees the beginning of these signs. As the signs that are mentioned that 
show that the tribulation is in force, within that generation, they will see the fulfillment of all that Jesus has said. And then Jesus closes with this important verse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Look, when Jesus shares this, He's sharing with us that heaven and earth are going to pass away. We know this because the book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth that is going to come. But while heaven and earth may pass away, may change, we do know this. The word of Christ is sure, and it will always stand. It's eternal because it comes from one who is eternal. It comes from God. Throughout the 24th chapter, we have seen Jesus give warning. I believe this was written so that Israel, during the tribulation, will have access to this truth and turn to the Messiah. The Holy Spirit will take it and work on their hearts and draw them to God. But I believe it's also written for us because as we watch a broken world, sometimes we wonder, does God really have a plan for this broken world? And the emphatic answer to that is absolutely yes. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how frightening the things are that happen all around us, God is in ch charge. God is in control. And He's going to bring all of these things as He has shared that He will. We find our hope in that truth. Heavenly Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for these signs of Your coming. Oh God, how we look forward to Your return in Christ Jesus. May we be constantly mindful that heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. In Jesus' name, amen. See
good. Honor all people. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen and good morning. Amen.